leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. Happy Monday. I am Renee Small. I am here on the Breaking into Cybersecurity podcast series, and this is our special edition. I'm here with two amazing people. First, my co-host, Chris Folon. Say, say hi to everyone, Chris. Hey, everyone. And a person near and dear to my heart, Gretchen Richards. Say hi to everyone, Gretchen. Hi, everyone. <laughs> so Gretchen is has her own company. She is has a background in um, development and computer science and has evolved over the years to management leadership in the executive space and has now started her own company really focused on um, helping companies bridge the gap with their employees. And Gretchen today is really going to start to give us a deep dive into employee engagement. And we know how uh, difficult employee engagement can be overall, but specifically in the technology community and really specifically in the cybersecurity community, especially because there's so much turnover in our space. So Gretchen, I'm going to turn it over to you and have you kind of like talk to us initially about how you got here, what you did in college, you know, what you majored in college and all that. And then um, we'll start to have a conversation around employee engagement. Okay. Um well, I was actually a computer science and math major in um, college, graduated from the University of California at Davis. Um, it was called computer science and math because it was, uh, when I started, it was in the math department and switched over to engineering by the time I graduated. Um, so coming out of school, I moved back here right away and worked for one of the, what they called Beltway Bandits at the time, defense contractor, um, <laughs> doing, you know, coding for like 80 hours a week. Um, and then switched to uh, one of the telecom companies in the area. And then while I was there, I got promoted to manager. And um, so I programmed for about, I don't know, seven, 10 years, somewhere in there total um, before switching to management and managing technical people and technical projects, which, you know, is an interesting thing all to itself because technical people can have their own little quirks and certain ways of doing things and stuff. So um, that got me more into the people side um, coming out of school as a techie, I was very goal-oriented. I was very, you know, chop, chop, let's get it done. I really wasn't worrying about some of the softer skills. But I learned if you really want to succeed, especially in the long term, you really have to get those soft skills um, under your belt and you really have to work with your people skills. And how did you find um, that switch over from being technically focused to managing technical people um, was for yourself? Um, it was hard, right? Because I had been really successful in my software development. So all those skills I kind of had to put like on the back burner and I had to really rely on my management skills, which, I mean, I had been like a team lead of projects and stuff before, but I had never had to manage people before. And, and I very much felt, um, you know, like I was just faking it, right? And mm -hmm. um, one of the first things I had to do was hire somebody. And, you know, HR called and they're like, well, how much do you want to pay him? And I was like, wow, I get to decide that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, he started and like a month after he was there, he came like running up to me in the hallway and he's like, you used to program? Like I saw your name in the code and you used to develop? <laughs> and I was like, wow, this guy thinks I'm a manager, you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was it was a tough transition. And um, I remember my boss coming in and saying, you know, oh, we have a problem with such and such. And, you know, I'd want to jump in and give him the technical solution because I, I knew it. And he was like, no, who on your team is going to fix that problem? Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, when the executives get around and talk about a problem, they don't talk about how to fix it. They talk about how are they going to organize to fix it and which teams are going to be responsible for what and how are their teams going to work together to fix it. And so it was a real mind shift change that I had to um, go to to get to that management level. Yeah. But, go ahead, Chris. 
I was going to say that's really interesting because, um, for example, I was listening to a podcast from Chris Lazinski this morning about how he was recently re released from one of his CISO roles. And it was kind of that same battle between technical, do you have to be at those levels of management versus how policy or management focus you have to be? And that struggle seems very real mostly on the security side, because you have different sets of expectations depending where you are in the organization. Well, you have to have some technical skills, right? You have to know enough, um, at least a 10,000 foot level to know how the pieces fit together. You need to know enough to know, be able to tell when your staff is like um, trying to pull a fast one on you, mm -hmm. right? Um, like I can remember uh, my staff coming in and trying to tell me like, oh, something was, you know, all horrible and da -da -da, and it was all going to go bad. And I kind of laughed at him. I'm like, yeah, I remember doing that to my manager too, right? Because, <laughs> you know, that's what technical people do. Um, so, you know, ha it's easier if you, if you grew, grew up in the technical chain because you do kind of understand technical people and how they think. But you do want to have some expertise over what you're managing so that you do know when people are telling you something that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when you have seen, you know, like when you work with your clients and they're having struggles with the employee engagement space, is it typically that kind of a scenario? Like you've had awesome technical folks that have now been promoted into a management space and then they are struggling with that, you know, how to become really become a great manager and a great leader? Yeah, I think it's not just technical people. I think across the board, companies promote, you know, doers that do whatever they're doing well into management space. And there's not necessarily great training on um, how to be a good manager. So, and I think technical people sometimes can can be less outgoing and less people people. And so it, it's sort of worse in the technical space, I think. But um you know, I love working with technical people. They're they're usually goal oriented. They're usually motivated. They're usually um, very easy to to work with once you sort of learn their quirks and and how to interact with them. Do, do you find that there's that engagement issue on the technical side where they they don't maybe have all the technical challenges or they don't have the resources needed to to drive the employee engagement from that aspect? Um. Well, I think employee engagement is an issue across industries. I think um, in the technology industry, it's it's got its own uh, flavors of it that make it hard. Uh, one thing that's hard on the technology side is that there's just so much change, right? Technology is changing all the time and keeping up and keeping your skills current. Um, and, and that growth is one of the factors that really uh, motivates people. So I think, you know, there's a I think last year, U.S. or in 2018, U.S. companies spent um, like over $3 billion working on improving employee engagement. And engagement rates went from like 33% to 34%. So they barely moved. Um, and I think the reason is, it, um, even though leaders say they think engagement is important, they delegated a lot to the HR department. And the HR department um, kind of works on the philosophy that they want to, if we make people happy, they'll be engaged. Right. And so they do things like social events. They do happy hours. They do team building events. They get groups together to go do charity events. And all those are kind of useful and might help, but um, they don't really move the needle because they don't really impact your day to day working environment. Right. The other thing uh, that companies do a lot to improve engagement is they, they give away stuff, right? So they stock the fridge with food, they give you Starbucks coffee, or they give you a Starbucks card if you do something good. Um, you know, they'll give you like foosball tables and places to go to sort of like unwind, which again, might help with retention. They might help you like your work environment a little bit better, but they're not really impacting your day-to-day -day work experience. And the third thing I see uh, companies sort of promote to improve engagement is like to communicate more, like clarify the goals, give more feedback, give more off feedback more often, um, or do these personality tests, some of which are great, right? Like Kobe or DISC or Myers-Briggs, any of those can be good, they can be insightful, but do people really take those back to their desk and change the way they interact with others based on them? You know, that's, I haven't seen that really a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think 
a lot of the employee engagement activities that companies are doing are sort of these one-offs that people are like, oh my God, I, my plate's already full. Now I got to go do this. Um, <laughs> and they're not really changing the day-to-day -day activities. And so, you know, my approach to employee engagement is, is, is different than that because I think having built teams, um, you know, from zero up, um, you have to, you have to keep your employees happy and engaged to grow your teams. You have to have good employee retention. But I think the way you do that is you set your employees up to be successful, right? Um, and that was sort of my approach when I first became a manager because my early managers were, were pretty bad, um, in my opinion. And I, I can remember distinctly like one manager walking out of my office at, at my second job and thinking, you know, why don't you just ask me to do it blindfolded with my hands tied behind my back, right? Mm -hmm. It was just like putting all these obstacles in my way of getting my work done. And so when I first became a manager, you know, I wanted to be the opposite of that. I wanted to be the one who like got things out of the way so my staff could actually get their job done. And um, then through the, you know, years or decades, um, I worked on improving that. And then when I started this company and I really wanted to work on um, helping people improve engagement, I did um, a lot of research about, you know, what does it take for people really to be successful? And I looked at what some of the top performance coaches were saying um, about what motivates people, what drives people, what makes them feel like, you know, they're living a successful life. And I took those and I kind of mapped them to the workplace because, you know, the top performance coaches work with individuals that aren't really talking about corporate. Mm -hmm. um, and so from my own experience and from the stuff that, from performance coaching, you know, and based on this theory that if you want people to be engaged, you set them up for success. I came up with um, five key engagement drivers, which are um, vision. You know, does your company have sort of a higher purpose that people can be part of? Um, the other one is independence. Do you give your people enough autonomy so that they're not just a cog in the wheel, but they actually can impact how they're um, performing their job and the quality of the product that they're putting out? Mm -hmm. The third one is growth. Are people getting a chance to um, build their competencies, to um, have some variety in their job and to have like some challenges and challenges that are achievable, right? You're not like setting them up to fail. Um, the fourth one is um, outcome. Can people take pride in the work that they're doing and is the work that they're doing actually aligned with the vision or are you saying you're going to do one thing but actually doing something different right that's a huge motivational killer if you're doing that and then the last one is relationships are people building relationships with their peers with the company and do this they see some kind of rapport or relationship with their customers whether they're internal customers or um, external customers right and so those five um, it spells out vigor for vision independence growth outcome and relationships and I think if you manage those um, on top of a foundation of leadership and trust that you're going to have engaged employees. So um, in regards to the vision and the outcome, I often see that there's a huge uh, gap. Might hear of the vision, but they don't hear how their activities um, help the business accomplish that vision, or they don't see how any of the outcomes that they're working towards can help um, accomplish that vision or go towards that vision. Um, how do you think uh, companies can improve that line of communication? Yeah, I think your your vision should, shouldn't your vision mm. uh, statement or whatever shouldn't just be like a statement that's you know put on the wall and forgotten about. Your vision really needs to be what's driving your 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 business, and it needs to be part of how you make decisions. And everybody should be able to see how they're contributing to that vision. And I think one of the problems with a lot of um, people's vision is they make it too general and too vague and too kind of bureaucratic and people can't really even understand what that means. Um, like there's, I don't have it in front of me, but there's one I use in um, my workshop from um, one of the big government contractors in the area. And it says something like, um, we want to be the best systems integrator supporting our customers' missions and 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 giving our stockholders good returns. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's going to get me up and get me going in the morning. You know, it's so vision should really be, you know, it's vision. It's actually should be able to be specific enough that it paints a picture in your mind. Right. Mm -hmm. and it's, so. Um, 
And I think a lot of people don't have that. They don't, um, if you've ever listened to Simon Simic and his, you know, start with the why, right? And that's what really drives people. So, and you look at really successful companies like Apple and they have that, right? They have, they want you to think differently mm-hmm. and they have that vision that they're going to change the way humans interact with computers and stuff. Um, I was going to ask. What, um, and, and you jumped right into that, in terms of the companies that do this really well, obviously, there are probably some, some that we really know. If you could share a couple of those, you just said Apple, some of the other companies yeah. really do this um, and have the really, really highly engaged employees because that, that statistic that you gave, that 33, that the $3 yeah. billion dollars that was spent to go from 33% to 34%, it's just like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Apple's one of the one of the, the bigger ones that I think has has good engagement. Um, a lot of the smaller ones, I think, have better engagement. I think as you grow and you, you get to be sort of one of these mega companies that it's really hard to keep that culture and to keep the engagement unless you have a really, really strong leader. Um, so I don't know that I have a whole lot of other examples of really great engagement, but um, mm-hmm. but there are they're none of them are coming to mind, but there are a lot of the smaller ones that are that are sort of the upstarts coming up. Right. Um, there's a there's quite a few. I've been looking. You seem to be looking off to the side here because I'm looking at the comments. Um, and there's one here that says Jeff White says, to the point of keeping employees engaged. What are your suggestions on creating and embracing a work life balance for teams? I know you mentioned game tables, etc., but there can be blurred lines potentially for employees not knowing where work and home life begins and ends. Yeah, so that goes to the, um, how much independence do people have and how much autonomy do people have, right? And um, it's a little counterintuitive, but the clearer the company is on their roles, their responsibilities, and not just the roles and responsibilities, a lot of companies end there, but it's the handoffs between the roles that people don't really define. And a lot of times that's, those are the problematic areas. So the clearer you can define for somebody like this is this this is your space that you have to play in, the the more freedom they have to move within that space, right? If it's not clear, then you're going to get sort of one of two things: people are either going to not kind of go to the edge of their um, responsibilities because they're not quite sure where the edge is, and they'll hesitate. Or or we've all worked with someone like this where they say, "Well, I'm just going to keep going until someone someone tells me I'm going to to stop." right? And then they're just like running over other people. Um, So really having that clarity of role structure um, and expectations and and how those handoffs are going to work is really key to freeing people up. And then once you know that, then you should know like what work you can do from home and what work you have to be there in person for and and the the different ways that you can kind of manage that work-life balance, right? yeah, I think that leads to uh, into the employee burnout, which is a big thing that that happens. Um, I know for sure in the tech industry, and it could happen in other industries as well. But um, especially like incident that are on call, um, they tend to burn out a lot more frequently. What can companies do to help uh, minimize this burnout? Um, well, you know, it's funny. One of um... I took a stress management class years and years ago, and they said that people can be like really overworked and not stressed. And you can be mildly overworked and extremely stressed. And they said that the difference is you're more stressed when you feel trapped or when you feel stuck or when you feel like you have no help or like just the world is on your shoulders, right? But you can be like extremely busy, but in a supportive environment and you're not nearly as stressed. And so um, it'd be interesting to see in those cases if that's an underlying issue, right? Um, I mean, and if it's not, then then maybe the expectations of just how much work somebody can do isn't realistic. Um, and so that really comes down to sort of like the relationship kind, kinds of questions. And um, there's a, there's a lot you can do to engage um, your your coworkers. I think that's one of the things that's really missing um, in the technical space is people learning from each other and this kind of on the job sharing of information. Um, at my very first job out of school, I worked with this developer who was really good, 
um, and he would come over into my office. Um, back then we had offices and he'd go to the whiteboard and he would just, he'd just come in and he'd say, Hey, can I run something by you? And he would start writing his design for his next piece of code up on the board. And then he would like, look at me, like, do you have any input? And I would say, well, what would you do in this situation? And he'd say, oh, and he'd write out what he would do. And then I would say, well, what would you do in this situation? And he would like hesitate and you could tell he was thinking about it. And then he'd go, oh, well, you know, I would do this, right? So we would kind of went back and forth for 15 minutes. And at the end of 15 minutes, he would have flushed out his design because I would have thought of scenarios that he hadn't thought of. But at the same time, he was really good. So I would always like take something from one of his designs and figure out how I could leverage it in the work that I was doing. And so from a customer standpoint, they got a higher pro uh, higher quality product and our, our code lines kind of merged and were more similar from a company's standpoint, like he could be out on vacation or out sick. And if they needed something changed in his code, I could dive right in and fix it because I understood it and vice versa. Right. And I quickly learned to go into his office and say, hey, can I run something by you? Right. And um, so my code got better, his code got better. We learned just like a tremendous amount um, from each other about styles and approaches and different ways of viewing problems. Um, and our team kind of like dissolved and we were the last two to leave. And I think it's because we had that relationship where we were you know, learning from each other. And I left and went to a different company and I took him with me. So it's <laughs> <laughs> usually how it goes. Yeah, it is how it goes. But I think I learned so much from him in that. And I think that that is, is something that like, you know, if you're managing a team, your team should be doing that. They should be going to each other and saying, you know, can I run something by you? Um, how would you approach this? And just sharing that information. And so one, it's, one, it's knowing that you have people that you can ask kind of for that information and help, right? And, and you know, there's a saying, like, the two things that people will give you for free is their advice and their opinion, right? Mm -hmm. right. Um, and the only, the only caveats on this is that, um, one, it shouldn't blur accountability. So if someone gives you advice, it's still up to you on whether or not you're going to take it. And if they give you bad advice, like, don't say, oh, well, I just did it because so-and-so told me, right? That's just bad form. Um, mm -hmm. And the second is, um, you're not trying to get someone to do your job for you, right? You're, you really are trying, you ha should come with some amount of framework or something formed, and you're just asking them to sort of kick the tires and help flush it out. Um, so that's like my caveat for those two things. But um, I think if, you know, that kind of day-to-day -day in conversations, that's what's really going to start engaging people. That's what where people are going to feel like they have the bonds. Um, it would, was hard to leave without him because, you know, we had formed this like friendship and, and bond. And it's part of the reason I took him with me when I left. Right. Um, Chris and so, I talk. Sorry, Gretchen. Go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. Chris and I talk a lot on, um, specifically on this podcast about building relationships as a whole, you know, mm -hmm. going to conferences just with people trying to break into security in particular, um, just the relationship building, relationship building as you try to get into your first role and, and get into the, this industry and then relationship building as you go up the chain. And um, it's interesting that you that you say that because for the folks that are listening in particular that are on the, you know, trying to either break in or trying to grow in their careers, um, relationships are such a huge component of that. And it's good to hear you say that from an employee engagement perspective as well. Like, you know, you build these relationships and then you take them out of the office. And then next thing you know, you, you know, that person is now <laughs> working with you in a different environment because of these close relationships that you built. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's key to so much, right? Um, so I talk about these five engagement drivers, but I, I say you have to really build them on a platform of leadership and trust. And for leadership, um, what I talk about there is the different types of conversations that you have when you're managing versus when you're leading, right? So when you're managing, normally you're managing like to a schedule or some kind of action plan, and you're really looking at people's actions and their results. And so you're having conversations to like inform them of what the plan is, or you're coordinating with them or you're assessing the different results and status, right? But when you're leading people, you want to motivate them. You want to inspire them. And the only way you can do that is by building this kind of rapport with people. And so when you're leading, you're really having 
th different types of conversations. You're, you're first, you have to really understand people, right? You want to understand where they're coming from, what their perspective is, what is it like for them to walk in their shoes? And then you want to engage them in these sort of um, thought sharing conversations, like, can I run something by you? Or how would you approach this? Or, you know, what do you think we should do in this situation or something like that, right? And then once you have that rapport, then you can start having conversations where you're influencing them, right? Where you're challenging them to look at something from a different way and you're encouraging them to grow and you're role modeling that behavior, right? Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's really key. And, and this is something that if you're in a leadership position, you, sh you can be doing, but it's also something that if you're just an individual contributor that you also can be doing, right? Because everyone can be a leader and everyone can have these um, types of conversations and everybody can, can work on engaging, right? So just, you don't have to wait for your management team to put an engaging environment in place. There's things that you can do, right? So if, if your company doesn't have a great vision, create a vision for your team or create a vision for yourself and manage that. Um, if, you're, if your company isn't giving you great growth opportunities, figure out how you can get growth opportunities. You know, go in and, and get information from your coworkers. I mean, people know so much that, you know, you don't know until you go in and talk to them. People are fascinating. Everybody has stories. Everybody has like yeah. experiences and troubles that they've overcome and just sort of amazing histories. If you take the time to actually find out about them. So, you know, I had a, a, a question. That relationship that you built with your coworker, how does that dynamic change in an environment where employees are looking more and more for very, heavily specialized individuals and less junior talent because they're looking for that specialist. How does that change the dynamic and the way that you can engage your staff? Um, uh, so what's the scenario? You just have like one, one senior person and, or you just have a bunch of senior people? Yeah, you, you tend to have a bunch of senior people because they don't want to invest in more junior talent. Yeah. Well, senior people can still learn from senior people, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so, I mean, they should still, as, as a matter of fact, it's almost more important because um, as a senior person, they expect you to get up to speed quick, start contributing immediately. Um, you know, they expect more from you. And the world is changing so quickly and the, the tools are changing so quickly and the technology is changing so quickly that, you know, even the experts are always learning. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, everyone, they say the best teachers and the, and the, uh, the one trait of experts is that they're, they're continuous learners. Right. Because to keep that expert, you have to always be learning. So I, I don't think it really matters if you're an expert or not. I think you can always learn from the people around you. Um, and there's a great saying that says um, wise men learn more from fools than fools do from wise men. Right. Um, and that's based on the fact that wise men are always trying to learn. So, um, you know, if if you and there are, I've run across the, the the techies that think that they know everything, and they're you know, but there's too much too much knowledge in the world today. Nobody knows everything, and um, even if you know everything now, you're going to be outdated in six months. So, you you just need to always be learning. And and the people skills and soft skills are things I don't think anyone ever truly completely masters. There's always room for improvement on those. So Gretchen, we have a ton of questions coming in. David Overton wants to know, if, do you have any advice on an, enacting the vigor model to organizations with a siloed mentality? Uh, what kind of model? I'm sorry? Your vigor model? Oh, the vigor model. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the silos, um, so if you it depends on where you are in the organization, right? So to, to really change a big organization, you, you need the buy-in from the top. Um, it's Otherwise, you're sort of like paddling upstream. And it's, it's pretty hard to change it if you're not getting the top people um, behind you and, and proactively supporting you. Um, but having said that, I'm a real believer that you can always manage your environment to the best that you can manage your environment. And so if you're depending where you are in the um, organization, you can manage your <clears throat> your piece down, right? You can get your team to be engaged. You can get, reach out to some of your peers and see, can we break down the silos between um, our organizations? Um, 
<clears throat> and part of doing that is, uh, especially if you're, if it's like your team, is really kind of creating this environment that's sort of like a tribe, right? So as humans, we evolved to live in tribes because that gave us our best chance of survival. We don't survive well as individuals on our own, whether it's in the wilderness or, or in, in the corporate world, quite frankly. Um, and if you build a safe environment where people kind of trust each other and they don't feel like, you know, they're going to get axed at any moment, people will naturally support each other. They'll naturally um, try to help each other through the bad times. They understand if someone's going through a difficulty and they'll reach out and, and try to, you know, help them along. Um, but if you introduce that threat, right, the tiger comes into the village or, you know, something and people will then go into you know fear mode and then it's every man for himself. And so I think th if you can set up an environment where people feel like they're supported, people feel like there's some trust, um, it goes a long way to breaking down silos. Um, I, I remember once um, I was asked to take over this team and the uh, my boss said, um, the person that I was taking the team over from had had created a team of individuals and that the team didn't talk to each other. Um, nobody knew what anybody else did. And if one of them was out, she was their backup. And he's like, I want you to make them a team. And so uh, one of the things I, I talked to them about was this sort of like, you know, this is your safety zone. We're the word you can mess up in front of us, <laughs> but don't mess up outside of us because that's more painful, right? And it's like, so you know you had a fight with your spouse in the morning on your way to work and you're not thinking clearly. So ask someone in the room to check what you're doing before you send it out. Um, you know, I would always, if I had an email that was going out broadly, I always had somebody else read it first to make sure the tone was right, to make sure I wasn't assuming knowledge that the other people didn't have, because that's so easy to do. Um, and I think every time I had somebody review an email, I got feedback that made it better, right? Um, so, you know, just, it's that same, like, you know, can I run something by you, right? Um, build that sort of community of trust with whatever sphere of influence that you have um, and start breaking those silos down. And, um, you know, that team that I was working with, um, I came in at eight o'clock once and my uh, employee that came in at 6.30 and ran a bunch of daily reports was out sick. And someone else who came in at 7.30 had already been notified she was sick, ran all the reports, everything was done. And I was like, oh, I love you guys, right? <laughs> because they had built those relationships. They had built those rapports. They understood what each other did. And I didn't ask them to do, I didn't specifically ask them to do that. I mean, I asked them to, you know, start talking to each other more, you, you know, using each other for support. And they they did the rest and they, and they learned all of that and they, they just took care of it. And it was a much happier um, environment. You could tell they were happier coming to work and they felt less stressed because the world wasn't on their shoulders anymore. They knew if they needed help, they had it. Yeah. Tyrone says, uh, too many people get promoted to management because of their longevity with the company or because of someone they know without having any people skills whatsoever. Yeah, we've seen that. Yes, I have. Um, Elango has a question about how can security managers collaborate with HR managers to clearly write job job descriptions for security jobs. I mean, that's kind of not specific to this topic. Well, um, the only thing I would but, say there is is not just you want to write not only their roles and responsibilities, but you want to you want to talk to them about how do they interact with the other groups, right? So nobody works in a vacuum, right? And so that's where I think a lot of companies fall down is they say, you know, person A, I want you to do this and person B, I want you to do that. And I go do it. But there's an interface between person A and B and nobody like sits down and says, this is what I think that interface should be. Or this is where you're, you know, this is the, the line that says where your responsibilities ends and the next person starts. And a lot of times, whoever's the bigger personality kind of dictates that. Yeah. And that's not necessarily what the company wants. So if you are struggling and the roles and responsibilities aren't quite working right, um, look look to see if that's the problem, right? Look to see if the handoffs aren't clear. Um, one of the other things where they kind of break down is when to escalate isn't clear. When to escalate and how to escalate. And I think mm -hmm. those those are the things that kind of get missed and people just sort of do a generic 
role description, here's four bullets, go. And it, it's, that's just not quite enough. <clears throat> uh, on a, a similar line, how yeah, do you... I have a... Oh, go ahead, Bert. Go ahead, Rainer. No, go ahead. I was going to say on a similar line, how do you promote that um, collaboration of roles and responsibilities across the organization so that each of the departments know what the other department does, but what the handoff is? Because between individuals is one thing, but sometimes between departments, there's that knowledge assumption or that, oh, that's not my job, so I assume that's their job. How do you promote that? Um, communication between departments? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I think that's um, that's something actually, to, to be honest with you, that's something I probably didn't do well when I was in corporate. Um, when I was in corporate, I spent a lot of time uh, managing down and my customer. Those were like my main focuses. And I didn't spend as much time um, working with my peers as I would if I was in corporate now. Um, and I think it's it's really important to um, have those conversations with your peers, and you know, ask if you can go talk at one of your peers' staff meetings and brief them on what your team is doing, or invite them to come talk to your staff about what their team is doing, right? Because um, you do need those communications. I mean, one of the ways people get siloed is when you don't know what the other team's doing, it's really easy to think they're not doing anything and that, you know, you your team is doing all the work and everybody else is just slacking, right? Um, and, you know, that's not usually true. Um, so, I, you know, you, you kind of have to, on all of these relationships and building trust and building respect, a lot of times you just have to go first, right? So you have to reach out and say, hey, you know, my team um, was one, would like to know more about what your organization does and how we can better interact with you, mm -hmm. um, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Tyrone wants to know, how do how do you remain, remain a productive, positive employee when you're under an unchecked manager with poor people skills and is not held accountable by the leadership above that manager? <laughs> Tyrone, I got an answer for that, but Gretchen, go ahead. <laughs> well, Again, you, you got to go first, right? So what you got to, and it's difficult. Believe me, I'm about to give you advice that's much easier said than done. Oh, but um, Gretchen, but, he said he's asking for a friend. Just well, well, <laughs> all right. Well, of he course. Said, no, right? My situation, but of have course, heard of course, similar of circumstances. Course. But you got to, you got to kind of try to figure out like, why is your manager exhibiting that bad behavior, right? What's going on with them? Um, what are their stresses? I mean, that's the thing. Like, we really don't realize like everybody's walking around with a bunch of stresses, right? So you don't know if your manager is having marital issues or if they have health issues or their parents have health issues or, you know, their kids, you know, going through something. I mean, you just don't know what the other person's um, going through and you don't know what fears are in their head that are causing them to act badly. Um, and so you kind of have to go first. I mean, if, I mean, you have to decide, is, is this a job that you want to be in or is it toxic and it's something you need to leave, right? But if you don't know yet or if you think, you know, you, you want to keep trying, then I would say, you know, reach out, try to make an effort to reach out to the manager and find out where they're coming from and why, you know, what's going on in their world? What is it like to walk in their shoes and try to get a better appreciation of, you know, what are the pressures that they're under um, you know, you think it appears to you they're not being held accountable, but maybe they are being held accountable, but just to not to things that you think they should be being held accountable for, right? Maybe they're not being held accountable for how well they're managing their staff. Maybe they're being held accountable for financial numbers. And they're so wound around the access focusing on that, that they don't have, they're not spending enough time on their staff, right? So, you know, I, I would say, you know, you got you to gotta start with yourself and you have to be the first person to reach out and, and try to build some kind of bridge and relationship and understanding of the other person, unless you've decided that it's, you know, time to move on. 
Great, great advice, Gretchen. So I know we are almost at 40 minutes and we have, like I said, still chatter. Jeff White says, thank you everyone for addressing the questions. John Lilly said, this is really well done. Excited to watch. We're excited to have you. Um, Freddie Natwari says, uh, to too many promoting people who don't understand security. So Gretchen, as you're aware, this is a very heavily security group. Um, yeah. And folks are, you know, writing in and I mean, you've been in that space because you support, supported security, large security department. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so you understand what we're going through and what a lot of these folks yeah. are going through in this space. Um, I know we're almost at 40 minutes. So Gretchen, you can, you know, yeah, Tell so, us a couple more pointers and then Chris will. Yeah, so let me, to, 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 to talk about the security space in, in particular. So, you know, one of the main ways that people get in on security is through people, right? And the more disengaged your staff is, the more sort of apathetic they are, the more they're not really paying attention to your security protocols. So the fact that you have, if you have disengaged employees, it's actually a security risk because they're not, ticking and tying, they're not doing what they want, what you need them to do. They're probably not paying as much attention to some of the security stuff that they need to. So I think disengagement is a security issue in and of itself. Um, a lot of security people are millennials, right? Um, millennials, well, let me back up. So there's, a, there's an engagement statistic that says that if you ask managers why people leave, 89% of them say people leave because of money. But if you ask the people who leave, only 12% of them say they leave because of money. Now, millennials, it's a little bit high. Um, there's another stat that says millennials are 9% more likely to leave for money than baby boomers are. But the, still, the, the overwhelming reason that people leave, it's not because of money. They leave because they don't have challenges or they're not appreciated or they have just a bad boss, right? So one of the other stats, so the, the difference between the 89% the of managers that think that they're leaving for money and the 12% that say they aren't is like 77%. And there's another um, stat that says that 75% of people quit their boss and not the company, right? So that's 75 and that's 77 are pretty close. Yeah. So, so if someone's telling, if your employee's telling you that they're leaving for money, the odds are they're leaving because of you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, they're, they're, um, probably, they're probably initially leaving because of you, but they don't want to go to somewhere else for less right, money. But they're not going to tell you. They're not going to tell you. <laughs> right. So, I'm not going to tell um, you right. Um, yeah. So, and, and even though millennials are just slightly more likely to leave for money, it's if you, there's other stats that say 73% of people would stay in their job if they were given opportunities to grow their skill set. And there's another one that says half of the people would actually take up to a 29% pay cut if they, you can make their job a happy place to be. So, yeah. and have them enjoy their job. Yeah. So, you know, you're at your job so much of your day and so much of your life, people really want more out of it. And I think the younger millennials even more so want a higher purpose and they want all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there, there's so much that you can do, but it comes it comes down to management and leadership, right? And if, if your company doesn't have a good vision, try to set one up for your team. Or if you're just individual contributors, figure out what you want your own life vision to be. Um, you know, and for the independents, you know, if, again, if you're just, an, if you're the individual contributor, try to carve out what your role is. Try to get your manager to make it as clear as, as possible. If you've got questions, you know, go ask them. Um, and for the growth, you know, learn from your learn from your peers as much as you can. Um, there's so much free information. You, there's all kinds of websites and blogs and stuff. Um, you know, there isn't any job security anymore, right? Um, job security is having um, your, is your skill set and keeping your skill set current and keeping you know um, your skills up to ba- up to date. And, but it's not just technical skills; it's the soft skills. Um, yeah. And then for the outcomes, you know, you can manage the outcome as much as you can manage it. Um, and then the building relationships is, you know, 50% on you and going first and building those relationships with your peers, building those relationships with your coworkers, building those relationships with your boss that is not the best boss in the world. Um, you know, and then um, one last thing I, I've talked about the building the uh, 
managing those five on a foundation of leadership and trust. And we kind of talked about the leadership and those kinds of conversations. But for trust, I just want to point out trust is a um, complicated subject, right? It's not just are you open and honest. Trust, there's something that I call the four C's of trust. So there is character, which is, you know, are you open, honest, and transparent? But there's also competency. Do people see you as competent or do you, you know, if, if you don't think your boss is going to do anything about a problem, then you're just not going to go tell them because you don't trust them to do anything. Um, then there's consistency, right? Is the, does your company have a consistent set of rules or is there favoritism? Um, is your boss, you know, sometimes going to react calmly or sometimes going to go off on the off on you. Um, so consistency is a big thing. And then the last is caring. Do people actually believe that you care about them? Um, and so you really need all of that. You, ne you need to have those engaging conversations. You need to have the trust and you need to set these things in, in play. But uh, um, as managers, you should, you should work on setting up the environments to have all that. But if you're an individual, you know, do what you can. There's a lot that you can do as an individual to manage your own environment. Gretchen, what was the first C? I got competency, consistency, caring, but what was that first one? Character. Character. Okay, got it. And All right. So, as, Chris, it looks like. I, I was going to say, as uh, you talked a lot about building it from within your organization, we have a lot of job seekers here. And typically, the last question I ask is what sage advice you would give to job seekers for finding their new role? How do they discover? Um, an organization's vigor or implementation of vigor or the leadership and trust that their potential future manager would have during the interview process? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, interviewing is, is such a hard thing because neither party is necessarily being their relaxed, normal selves. Um, but, you know, both parties are, are trying to gauge the other and trying to figure out if it's a fit. And, um, you know, uh, you'll see from the corporate side, a lot of people asking more situational type questions. And I think it's really fair as an interviewee to ask situational type questions back. Um, and so you could ask the manager, you know, those types of questions, you know, how do they handle work-life balance issues um, and come up with like a scenario and say, you know, well, how would you handle it in this situation? Um, or ask them, ask them specifically about those five different things. Ask them how, what are their growth plans for employees? You know, do they have growth plans? Do they set stuff up? Um, you know, smaller companies don't necessarily have huge training budgets, but there's lots of ways to learn without that. And so, you know, ask them what kind of opportunities there are. Um, one of the um, stats I saw too that said that um, most people, when they get a new job, get it at a different company. Um, meaning there's not a lot of inward mobi mobility within companies. Um, so you might want to ask about that, right? Because um, you might get into InfoSec in one area, but you really want to go look in like other areas. And so are there ways to go from like access management to um, intrusion detection or, you know, whatever. Um, and then even if you're in with a company and they hired you because you know the latest firewall, well, six months from now, there's going to be a different version of that firewall or a totally different beast that comes out. You know, what are, what are their policies for keeping people up to speed on the latest and, you know, see what they say and ask yeah. them what their vision is, right? And if they don't know what their vision is, that's a, that's a clue. Or um, if it's, you know, something that's, doesn't seem like it's at the forefront of their minds. That should be clear as well. Tyrone, well, I you. think that's a really thank you, Gretchen. Tyrone, for Tyrone in particular, that's some good some good advice to give your friends who might be looking <laughs> for new opportunities. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so um, Gretchen, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, from the from the comments, I mean, people are just saying that they have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, oh, Chris and I are specifically trying to bring in more experts that can help you help everyone in their career. So we know it's one thing to break in, but like you said, if you're an infosec and you're trying to get from um, access management over to you know um, something else into a different area, like how do you do that? How do you maneuver within? Um, which I per personally think is such 
a huge um, opportunity for companies to give people other shots because you already, especially if you have a great employee, they know your space, you know them, and just giving them that opportunity to move around, you get so much more um, as a whole, so much more engagement you know, from yes. doing that, from people moving around. And I give you my own example, moving around within a company. And I didn't even get like to your point where people would take a pay cut. I didn't get a pay raise. I didn't get a promotion, but I had the opportunity to move and move and move and gain so many more skills. And that kept me there for a longer period of time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. I, I think employers really need to to listen to you and take heed. And so, Gretchen, yeah. One thing too, if you're if you're a manager and you're busy and you're overwhelmed and you have too much on your plate, um, step oh, back. And, no, 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 no. <laughs> this, is, this is my little. Well, step, step back and step back and look at what you're doing and look at what's on your plate and see is there something on your plate that you could actually delegate down as a growth opportunity for somebody under you, right? And I mean, you can't just like give it to them and walk away. You have to give it to them and mentor them and train them and whatever, right? But um, I think sometimes we get so caught up on the day-to-day -day, uh, treadmill that we we stop, we don't stop to think about that kind of stuff. But I bet um, most managers are doing something, um, at least the overwhelmed, overworked ones, that they could delegate down on their employees would actually love to, to do it. Yeah. Awesome. So that, that's something people should look at. Awesome advice. So if anyone, I'm going to tag Gretchen in this post as I usually do. So companies or employees, if you hear, if you would want to reach out to Gretchen directly, she has a company and she, she's an expert in this space, as you can see, has focused on all this stuff. So if your company is struggling, refer them over to Gretchen. Um, I also want to add just at the end of this that you all know that I am working with a couple, we have a couple of events coming up this at the end of this week. Chris is going to be pretty much running the show over at B-Sides Nova. So any, <laughs> anybody well, wanted the, the, to- The career development track, that's my area of responsibility. The, the career development, I'm trying to be in two places at once, but I don't <laughs> think it's going to happen. I wanted to be over there helping him. So if you're going to be at B-Sides Nova, make sure to check out Chris. And you all know that I've made a post about about the teens that I am, the reason why I'm not at Besides Nova is that I'm gonna be helping with some teen girls out in um, Loudoun County in Leesburg, helping them and we still need sponsorship for teens. So if anybody wants to sponsor a teen, please let me know. It's an awesome conference. We did it last year and we plan on doing it again and as often as we can to get more and more people who are not um, aware of cybersecurity into the cybersecurity industry. So, Thank you all. This was awesome. Gretchen, we have to have you back. They're still asking questions. Okay. And um, we will see you all actually tomorrow. We have another one tomorrow coming up. So thanks, right. Gretchen. Thanks for having, thanks for coming on and sharing all oh. this awesome knowledge. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed thanks it. Everyone. Cool. Bye. All right. You guys. Bye, everyone. Bye. Hi. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.